Hello, and welcome to Deconstructor Fund's This Week in Games podcast. Now, this episode is brought to you by LabCave. And LabCave is a mobile growth company that provides app store optimization and mediation services for apps and games. And most importantly, the company has achieved more than 200 million organic downloads without running any paid acquisition campaigns. Now, LabCave has tested almost every solution in the market while realizing that none of them were built with app developers in mind. That led to the birth of a product with, a, with the goal to provide a flexible yet powerful solution to efficiently manage in-app inventory. Now, LabCave strives for full transparency and control, providing the right set of tools and advanced reports in order to make the right data-driven decisions, making sure publishers can ultimately increase their ad revenue. I'm sure all of us are ready and pretty much primed to increase our revenue. So I suggest that you visit labcavegames.com. It's a really cool product. And on and on their website, labcavegames.com, you can learn more about their mediation and organic growth services. So check out labcavegames.com. And without further ado, it's This Week in Games. Uh, welcome to Deconstructor of Fun this week. Uh, I am Adam Telfer. I'm joined here by the one and only Eric Kress, uh, as well as guest host, uh, uh, Kenny Liu. Uh, Kenny, you're, you're new to the podcast. Uh, do you want to tell a little bit of, uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having, having me, guys. Uh, really excited to be here. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Kenny. Um, I uh, write a weekly newsletter that um, gives industry insights uh, about you know mostly things relating from kind of like a uh, more serious perspective in terms of um, what's happening in, uh, uh, on the business side of things. Um, it's called uh, Clueless. So if you could just go to tinyletter.com/kliuless, um, you'd be able to find it and sign up. Um, I started this newsletter actually while working at Riot. So I've been at Riot, or I was at Riot for about for more than three and a half years, uh, serving in a couple of different capacities. Um, working on two different R&D games on both the PC and mobile side, and also working on League of Legends. Um, I originally started off uh, focusing mostly on monetization strategy, and uh, then more and more my responsibilities became more like a product manager over time. Um, But uh, I'm I'm very, I guess, interested in design overall, and um, I have a lot of sensibilities in terms of uh, where by games certain games feel good from uh, both a core game and metagame tying together perspective and i'm really excited to uh to speak with you guys about the topics that we have today about our chero and and, and rush wars and and other games yeah no you picked a hell of a week <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah major launches all coming this week so this is going to be a very very interesting podcast uh, but before we jump into that uh, eric how are you doing i'm good i'm trying to get back in the swing of things get up to speed after my vacation um but uh yeah i mean this is my uh really busy time you know starting now all through a holiday trying to track how things are doing and so far i think the business looks pretty good i think uh madden is off to a strong start and fifa looks solid madden historically has always been like the benchmark the bellwether of the uh 
video game season. You know, if Madden is up, then everyone's super happy because that means the demand is strong, right? But it's no longer the case, really, because it's really only <laughs> one set of people that buy Madden every year. But it's still kind of the, uh, I guess, the harbinger of the new season of video games. So, um, so anyway, yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to. Try to track down information, see what's going on out there, and uh, getting back to the clients who are invested in the space. Um, and kind of looking forward to get back get back to the podcast. Of course, this time it's like you guys are definitely in the driver's seat because I am not an expert on monetization design or game design, but I can throw my two cents in when I have it. Always good. Yeah, because this week is pretty intense. So um, I think last week we were actually struggling for articles. This week we've got Archero, number one. Um, first, uh, the second article will be on Supercell uh, and their new mobile strategy game, Rush Wars. Third article is on Pokemon Masters, the new Nintendo or Pokemon Company uh, Pokemon Masters game in partnership with Dina and Dina, whatever, DNA. DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never say that name right. And lastly, we talk about Playtika uh, acquiring the best fiend developer uh, seriously. Um, so let's jump first right into that article on Archero. Kenny, do you want to go into Archero? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure if um, our listeners have uh, read the uh, the blog post already that was posted on the Constructor of Fun website, but just to give kind of like a brief elevator pitch about this, the summary of the article, I think um, everybody... Um, on the podcast is, or, or that I've spoken to who, who, has, who has enjoyed playing the game of Archero, um, finds the core gameplay extremely compelling. Um, I think the the takeaway, though, from the metagame perspective is that there's a lot to be lacking. Um, and um, as expected, you know, this game was developed by a group of indie devs um, in a small team, I think based, based in China or based in Asia broadly. Um, so kudos to Habi uh, for their team for creating an amazing game. But, you know, um, definitely uh, looking forward to continued updates to the game to strengthen up to strengthen up uh, the longevity of the game. But um, to date, have been a little less than impressed about that about updates on that aspect. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about the great the great parts of the game. I think the 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 controls feel amazing. So for those who don't know what this game is, it's basically um, living your kind of like League of Legends ADC fantasy as a single player. <laughs> uh, when you, it's it's single joystick control, uh, virtual. So when you use your thumb to move, and when you move, uh, the the character on the screen, which is an archer, uh, does not shoot. And but when you stay still, the archer shoots. And I think the fact that you have this one button input do multiple things. There's a really really great elegance in design. You know, um, a lot of the kind of like designers that I respect in the industry, for example, from Nintendo, um, they always talk about um, being able to do two things or even three things uh, with just one type of mechanic. And, you know, you can see that in kind of like the way that Super Mario both has a jump, which is an evade and also an attack by having that jump land on a, a mushroom um, be in, in one kind of core mechanic. Downwell is another kind of example of this on the mobile space where you have both jumping and shooting it, it tied to the same core mechanic. And I think Archero does that super well with their with their kind of core controls. Um, what they layer on top of this kind of core gameplay of this like uh, almost like bullet hell uh, single player game is is a um, Binding of Isaac or roguelike inspired uh, uh, roguelike inspired metagame metagame progression. Uh, sorry, metagame layer throughout the run. So you know as you go in through different dungeon rooms, 
um, and you uh, kill monsters and you gain experience and you and you level up, you're able to the, the game throws you three different randomly generated upgrades and you get to pick one of three upgrades to go on to your next run. Um, it feels uh, really cool. Uh, and as you progress uh, and as you basically, um, I think one thing that they do super well is that uh, if you, for example, go on a successful run, let's say you clear 15 dungeon rooms, then the very next run that you go on, they'll take three of the upgrades that you selected from the last run and show you it as pick one of three in your first kind of like select, uh, level up in your subsequent run. So there is a level of diversity that always is in kind of like uh, inherent in in each run because they don't allow you to necessarily always pick the same kind of strategy that you normally would um, uh, in previous runs. Um, on the top of the metal game, they have uh, uh, one of the things that I kind of really wanted to discuss in depth was their stamina system. Um, and the reason why is because as kind of a core gamer myself, I really, really uh, uh, hate stamina systems. I, every time I encounter one in, um, uh, especially if it's a hard stamina system, um, every time I encounter one, uh, it it feels really bad to me. It kind of gives me bad spidey, sen spidey senses. But I I personally have not minded uh, Archero's stamina system at all. And I think one of the reasons why that I felt so differently about this game's stamina system versus the other games um, is because they do really interesting backend tuning to kind of like the core game design. So when... Um, so why do stamina systems feel bad? Um, in my opinion, I think stamina systems feel bad because if you if a player goes into a um, a game, um, a session, expecting that they have you know quote unquote like let's say like two minutes of of expected game time, and yet when they go into the run and they encounter a bad run and they die immediately and they only get ten seconds of gameplay, this mismatch in basically expectation versus reality of two minutes versus ten seconds of fun is is pretty. Pretty pretty bad. Um, it feels pretty bad. Um, but what Archero does is that, for example, I don't know if you if if um, if other players have noticed this, but when you go into a run, let's say you go into the first room and your health drops from 100 all the way down to 25 from one or two mob encounters. So, like you know, the player enters a string of bad luck and um, they're unable to get past uh, you know this room without losing a ton of HP. Um, what they do is that if you lose a significant amount of HP, you know, in a short amount of time from one from a couple from one encounter, they'll change the backend tuning for uh, to make the rest of uh, that encounter or the rest of your experience in that room to be slightly easier. So, for example, they'll increase the chance of you to dodge, or they'll increase the chance of the bullets to miss you, or they'll increase the chance of them dropping um, hearts, which which heal you. And so, what that allows you to do is it allows you to basically um, not feel so bad about getting those, those they basically smooth out those super low moments and they narrow the, the standard deviation or the variance of your um, your expected session length. So previously maybe uh, you know you might have super variable session lengths um, without these type of backend tunings, but because they have these backend tunings, uh, the player has a much more kind of like consistent um, um, uh, session length that you know hopefully doesn't generate those feel bad moments for the stamina system. Um, so I think, you know, these are the things that are, I kind of really enjoyed in terms of how the core game and the metagame mechanics tie together. There's a couple of things that I felt that, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, uh, the developers didn't really think through from, um, 
from from a design perspective. So one of the things that I think is kind of um, really interesting is that as the as the player progresses through uh, dungeon through dungeon through dungeon and 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 uh, the difficulty gets harder and harder, they also unlock a greater kind of like pool of upgrades from which that they can choose to upgrade, uh, upgrade their character. So in the beginning, they might only have like 10 upgrades to choose from, but then in the second dungeon, they'll might have like 20 upgrades to choose from. Um, what that does, unfortunately, though, is that as you get deeper into the dungeons, um, you the, 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 the amount of uh, upgrades that are available in the pool get diluted. So previously, perhaps maybe there were only five great upgrades, and five out of ten meant that you could have uh, fifty, you know, fifty percent of the time be able to get pick a good upgrade for yourself and get a good consistent run. But as that as that pool increases, um, perhaps you know down the line you might only have like let's say like ten good upgrades, but picking out a pool of fifty. So that percentage of 50% drops down to 10%. So it's a lot harder for players to actually like achieve that same type of um, probability of, of getting good runs. And so that unfortunately deteriorates the, the, fun, the core fun of the, of the core gameplay because of that design. Um, I think the, uh, so most recently they just updated the, the game with kind of like a really big update with introducing uh, new, new heroes. Um, but unfortunately, that felt like it was just a cosmetic skin with with limited with limited slash little update on on gameplay. Um, they also introduced um, ads into the core game experience. So they have like this new character, like a sensei character, which if you uh, during a run, if you talk to him he, and watch an ad, you get an actual attack boost. I felt that that was a a pretty jarring um, design decision because uh, that was the first time that they actually introduced an ad, or not the first time, but it was definitely. Uh, another way to add on um, a kind of like very blatant pay to power or watch or watch ad for power um, system inside the core game, which I, I felt like they they ne didn't necessarily need to do that. Um, I think in terms of longer term ways to increase the longevity of this game, I would love to see multiplayer in some way, even if it's not synchronous multiplayer. I'm not sure synchronous multiplayer would work for this game, but some type of you know, some type of even just like comparison point or like leaderboard or uh, like you know speed run mechanic might even be worth might even be worth building. All right, I'm gonna give you because I am clearly not in the same league as you guys in terms of understanding this stuff. I'm just gonna ask some questions. So for me, from a business perspective, this seems like the natural evolution of hyper casual, in which you know these throwaway experiences that are going out there and downloading a bajillion times and getting all these kitties to download. Now they're building something with a little bit more teeth and a little bit more, you know, progression and monetization design. And the more you describe what they need, the more it's sounding like it's going to just transitioning into a traditional game that makes it less hyper casual and more like a full development game. And, and compared to some of these other games we're going to talk about today. So is that, is it, am I kind of got this right here? I mean, either of you is, is this just kind of this natural extension, something that was inevitable about hyper casual is that you're taking the popularity of something like that and adding additional design and, and making lots of mistakes with jarring advertising and no depth of spend, et cetera, et cetera. And so now rather than a 15 person team, they're going to have like a hundred person team working on this, the next sequel to this game. I mean, is it, or am I just being very cynical? Well, I think that I think that there's something there's a golden nugget in the core kind of like game design. I'm not sure if this specific game or this specific developer would be able to be the team that actually uh, you know evolves this kind of like core game to 
to basically be a more mid-core, hardcore game that has a longer tail. Um, you know, I think to that, to the, to, to the, uh, to the developer's credit, you know, for a small team of less than, let's say, 25, uh, I think that they've found great success. Um, but um, again, the way that they've approached the kind of like monetization or metagame aspect of this game, it doesn't feel like a game that can be played for um, more than more than a couple months. Yeah, my sense with all this hyper casual market stuff, um, the the big advantage that many of these games can have at the end of the day is an incredibly low CPI. Um, and I think uh, Nebo from actually Network did an excellent article in the last week where he talked a lot about kind of breaking down how that is the case and how these hyper casual games that are so incredibly simple can actually be marketed so effectively. And I think what's interesting about this game is that it falls into that camp where uh, a metric called IPM, which is basically uh, a, 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 a part of the CPI equation, um, actually shows that this game is um, you know, quite sticky Whenever somebody watches an ad, watches a video of this game, they're very, very likely to install it versus most free-to-play games. So uh, what this game has different than most is a, a, a situation where it actually can do kind of a bait and switch, where in the beginning, um, you'll watch these ads, you'll see this like incredibly simple Diablo-like game, and then you jump into the game and you can experience something that actually is deep, uh, as you said, Eric, with teeth that could actually last. Um, so. Um, in terms of hyper casual and whether it fits on like a binary scale, whether you're hyper casual or not, my sense here is that they have they have a game that could drive a ton of installs very very cheaply. However, the core game systems aren't built with longevity in mind. Um, and uh, what's interesting in terms of like the hyper casual market, yeah, there's going to be some developers that try this. I think actually, uh, Space Ape in London, uh, they had that like top down racing game a while ago that also they, they talked a lot about how this was kind of the modernization or maturity of uh, the hyper casual genre but I just my sense is that this is just good game design that if you have a game that has a ton of installs you should be trying to retain your core audience as long as possible um, but yeah like with, with Archero it's it's an amazing core gameplay and I think my, my take here um, is that I think I, I've got to give huge kudos to actually Boombit um, and super skill here. So as mentioned in the article, uh, these are the guys that actually published the game. Um, I'm a bit biased here because I've actually worked with them somewhat in the past, but at the same time, I've, I've got huge respect for them in terms of their ability to scale games, especially in the hyper-casual space. Um, they work with guys like Frogmind and Fingersoft and Traplight. Um, so these guys are insanely good at growing games. Um, so yeah, in terms of being able to, to lower their CPI, get to this game to a mass market, um, they've done an excellent job. But uh, in terms of Habi, this is just another data point where the importance of setting up proper live ops right from the beginning. Um, because right now they've struck lightning uh, here with this game, but their core systems are actually too fragile, I would say, to add much on top. Um, as Kenny was talking, adding things like characters, um, even adding things like PvP, um, don't really expand the game. And I think a lot of it actually comes down to how they treat damage and how they treat um, um, uh, progression in terms of giving uh, real need to collect a lot of different items. Right now, the progression is actually pretty linear. Um, so you can actually just grind out the game and eventually it's going to get to a point where it just gets too difficult. They're going to need more modes uh, and those modes are going to need 
uh, a wider collection of gear in order to actually push this game uh, beyond what it has right now. Um, so yeah, right now, actually, I think there's a pretty massive gap here for a seasoned free-to-play developer to actually take this core gameplay and add some changes and pair it with systems and progression that can actually sustain, um, I would say, something close to AFK Arena as we've deconstructed in the past, um, if they can actually pair those two together. The, the harder part here, of course, will still be getting that CPI side, uh, but if they can find that way to kind of merge the hyper-casual uh, CPI and actually deep systems like in Gacha RPG, this is a real contender. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that in a lot of ways, I think Rush Wars is a more hyper-casual game than Archero from, from the core controls perspective or design perspective, but um, but Supercell has just executed on the metagame and monetization, I think, um, better. I mean, just given the fact that they have just years of experience with that on Rush Wars than Archero. Yeah, you're getting too, too, too quick into it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Second article. Yeah, this is good. Uh, so let's move on to Supercell. So um, as I think everybody on this podcast, everyone listening to this podcast should know, uh, Supercell launched a new mobile game last week uh, on August 26th. Uh, the game is called Rush Wars. Um, and the easiest way to describe it would be a combination of Clash Royale and Boom Beach. Uh, the core loop of the game is essentially uh, that... Um, you, you've got a landscape view. You're placing your units on the left side of the screen in a grid format, uh, grid formation, and you're using that grid formation to actually attack a base, which is on the right half of your screen. And similar to Boom Beach, similar to Clash of Clans, what you're trying to do is use your unit makeup to spot weaknesses in the defenses on the right side of the screen um, so that you can take out the base as much as possible, do as much, of, as much damage to the base as possible. Um, so, of course... Uh, this game launched to, to uh, big press last week. A lot of people downloaded it. A lot of people giving for great first impressions. Um, what I actually found interesting um, was that just kind of the, the mixed reaction that came. So in terms of people from the industry, what you saw was a lot of people looking at this game and saying, wow, okay, Supercell, like doubling down on their strengths. Um, this is a, a, a great game kind of showing what they've done and um, interesting to combine with Clash Royale. Uh, this should be somewhat of a slam dunk. Uh, but then you've got on the other side a lot of, say, Supercell streamers giving it a little bit more of a mixed reaction. Uh, it's just not as game-changing as they have been, as we all have come to expect from Supercell. When you think about something like Brawl Stars or Clash Royale, the last two big, big soft launches, um, these two games fundamentally changed the industry. Um, and even something like Clash Royale, their metagame is still being inspired or using for inspiration for a number of games coming into, the, uh, coming into 2019. Um, so the reality is, is that you kind of have this mixed reaction where some people just say it's just not as novel as their previous games, as well as, you know, this is clearly Supercell, maybe taking a safer bet, but at the same time building on their strengths. Um, so my take on this, um, I, I'm actually going to delay my full read on this game. Uh, my opinion actually has flip-flopped a lot over playing the last week. Um, and I think we'll end up actually doing a blog post on this, as we did with Brawl Stars on Deconstructor Fun. Um, just because I think when you start looking at the grossing rank and you start taking a look at like how the, the game is performing, um, it's not performing as well as Clash Royale, not performing as well as Brawl Stars, but still very strongly up there. Uh, it's a, on a bit of a downward trend, and we'll, of course, we'll see that. 
Um, but I think like even just comparing this launch versus Brawl Stars. Uh, Brawl Stars was a much bigger launch, you know, caught a lot of people off. Um, but at the same time, the, the feedback that I would have here is almost completely opposite. Um, here, the actual economy and progression systems are actually proven in rock solid. They've, they've taken exactly what they have from Clash Royale and, and mapped it to kind of a boom beach core gameplay. So there isn't a ton of issues with their economy. Um, while the core loop is actually faster than Clash Royale, because you can actually go in and out of rounds much, much faster, um, the progression system is actually still tried and true in terms of its duplicate-driven gotcha. It works. Um, and also, I think there's some interesting bits in terms of their meta. Um, there's some interesting choices there. Key thing being about these transparent loot boxes. So if you take a look at their shop in terms of how they sell new cards, instead of having uh, blind loot boxes where you open them up and you have you know random items within it, here they actually show you what you're going to get. Um, yeah, and that was super interesting to me. I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. So it, you you know exactly what you're going to get before you even buy it. And then say if you're a heavy spender and you really want a specific item, then you're going to have to trudge through a whole bunch of these boxes because each time you buy one, then a new box appears and it, they'll show you those new items. Um, so really kind of short circuiting what we've all known to work within loot boxes. Um, and most likely... Uh, is kind of um, showing within the, the grossing ranks. Like that difference between Rush Wars and Brawl Stars or Rush Wars and Clash Royale uh, could actually be a lot to do with just how they use these transparent loot boxes, which is weird. Also, they moved away from uh, chess slots and went to this kind of like key system. It's weird because it almost feels like they went back to like an energy system. Um, but at the same time, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty minor. Um, I think one of the more interesting things about this game, if you pick it up, uh, definitely try out team domination mode. Uh, this is a side mode uh, where you're actually playing with other players. It's clear that to supercell that social play is actually a, a big priority here. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting to comp this to like auto chess, like team trade tactics, because they have this kind of like drafting mode that while this mode actually lasts over the course of, you know, day or two, whatever, uh, the, you're, you're drafting as you're going through, kind of getting new units, and then you're trying to use those units as effectively as possible over the course or over, over a map with other players. Um, so it's kind of weird to, to think of it like an auto chest that's, that's a, a round that's actually mapped across uh, a day as well as your uh, two teams rather than, you know, 10 players going up against each other. Uh, but these games, um, it's just interesting to see how they've kind of mapped that to this game. Um, but going back to actual core gameplay, why I'm actually delaying my read on this is just because I have some concerns over the kind of the depth of strategy in both the defense side and the attacking side. Um, just because I think when you've when you've ripped out uh, the core gameplay of Clash Royale and you've swapped in the, the gameplay of Boom Beach, right, you'll realize that the systems don't really work the same way. Uh, where Clash Royale had so much legs, right? Like th this game clearly is gonna last for, for more than a decade uh, in terms of how uh, repeatable that core gameplay is. Um, Boom Beach is just significantly simpler. Um, and while this game is a little bit more puzzly, there's a little bit more clear counters, um, it, it feels a little bit closer to say like auto chess that way. Uh, I just don't think it has the same legs as something like Clash Royale. So while it's using the same meta, it'll be interesting to see if it actually can survive with a much, say, thinner strategy layer uh, as part of the core gameplay. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, in terms of my read here, my prediction, um, yeah, this will most likely reach global. Um, but the, the two red flags that I see is if this too thin of a strategy meta actually uh, really happens and they continue to see this decline, or if they see real negative signs of cannibalization with Clash of Clans or Boom Beach. Uh, Kenny, do you want to mention them? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that analysis spot on. That's 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 accurate. I think one of the um, so in a lot of ways, what's really interesting. I don't know if if um, if you noticed this, Adam, but uh, in the beginning, when you would I think uh, have your defense uh, when when you would basically um, have attackers attack your defense and you would uh, not successfully defend, you would lose stars or if, uh, stars for your ranking. But they actually did kind of a hot fix over that uh, overnight, and they made it such that you were always gaining stars, or at least I'm still gaining stars from from defense and never losing stars. So in a lot of ways, um, the game feel the game kind of like changed overnight from being something that was supposed to be a competitive game to something that was basically much more um, casual in that regard. It feels uh, actually a lot of ways kind of like um, an idle progression game um, uh, or because you're kind of figuring out different puzzles um, with laying out your troops on offense and your buildings on defense, and then you engage with the game with which has a stamina system, so very in short bursts each each day. Um, and as you as you progress, you also like you know always incrementally gain stars. I think one of the brilliant aspects of the core dick game design is that they have like a three star system. So um, no matter what, even if you only get one star or two star, it always feels good on both the offense and defense side. You can always say that like, oh yeah, even if I didn't sweep them. Um, I, I still, I still actually got something. Um, so in that sense, like the psychology is actually really interesting because it does feel like Supercell's most kind of hyper casual game, um, in their portfolio, um, uh, at least in recent history. Um, my big issues with the game are, I agree with you in that it doesn't seem to have the same legs as, uh, Clash Royale potentially could. Um, I think the systems of, their metagame monetization are solid. I think the tunings of exactly when the player unlocks what content and at what cadence is a bit aggressive. Um, I think that part of it is probably because of due, due to the lack that to the, to the lack of content since this game is effectively in soft launch. So they probably didn't have um, you know just enough content for players to actually go through and and unlock it at a at a regular cadence. Um, my friend, who is also used to work at Riot, um, his name is Nan Duan. He had a he posted a blog post actually earlier this year um, before he left Riot to join uh, Supercell, Supercell Shanghai Studio. He now heads up that studio. Um, but in the blog post, he talked about you know Supercell's challenge with um, basically with content in a new kind of uh, um, mobile development world, um, largely comparing Supercell's pipeline versus, for example, like a lot of the Chinese studios where, you know, for Chinese studios, they have, um, uh, you know, maybe several hundred devs uh, at Tencent or NetEase working on a single mobile game. And that's very different from the type of scale that Supercell is operating with, probably like a more nuclear, less than, less than 25 or so team. Um, and, you know, the advantage of that from the Chinese developer side is that you just have this amazing production pipeline that can just churn out content and assets um, at a very rapid pace. Um, and as such, you don't have to be so stringent or so kind of, um, uh, um, you know, yeah, tight with 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 your content unlocks and your rewards that you give to players. Um, so, unfortunately, I think Rush Wars is bordering on the side on the side on the side of too too tight fisted. Um, it'd be in, it'd be interesting to see what happens over time, whether or not they 
you know, are able to increase the, 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 the bandwidth of their pipeline. But even in the case where they do, um, as we can see already from kind of what they have in the game right now, uh, this game is pretty difficult to balance. There's already kind of like uh, quote unquote OP strategies or OP units on the attack and defense side. And, you know, very rarely, like I've been playing this game for over a week now and I've been running the same composition on the offense side and it still hasn't basically uh, encountered much, much opposition. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, this is a tricky one. I, my opinion on this is flip-flopped over time. Right now, um, I'm probably going to turn out soon, um, just because the uh, I feel like the tunings of some of their metagame systems are not, or progression systems are not in my favor for somebody who doesn't monetize. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go here. You know, I, you can't underestimate how much uh, Supercell has really contributed to this business over the years uh, i will acknowledge that but the one thing that concerns me and it's always concerned me about supercell is that they tend to release games that just cannibalize against their other games you know and so this really happened with clash royale when that thing came out it just devastated clash of clans right and so their revenue peaked out in 2015 with like 1.7 billion according to uh sensor tower but um you know last year they did about a billion so quite a bit of big drop and part of it's because I think they churn people out of their, you know, really most the most profitable games like Clash of Clans and put them into popular games that monetize extremely well but on their own, but not quite as well to Clash Royale. And so when I look at something like this, this one seems and feels just like the you know Clash Royale 2.0, right? And so to the extent that the the depths of spend or, or the longevity of the game or you know uh, if people transition to this game. It's going to negatively impact Clash Royale, and net net they're down, right? So, from a from a macro perspective, I'm not really clear as as to what kind of strategy, you know, in terms of growing their business. Um, but you know, the game looks amazing, and it looks like they've taken all their learnings from Clash Royale and and changed you know a little bit of the gameplay, and created something that's going to be super compelling and do extremely well by any measure. Um, but what I'm worried about is it won't grow their overall business uh, for Supercell. But you know, the only time will tell. Clearly, we're in early beta, so it may be months before we actually get the full release of this game. Um, but we'll see. I mean, do you guys kind of agree with that, or is that just me being cynical? Yeah. No, I, I. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I actually said like, Kenny, you, you mentioned something really, really strong in your uh, list, your tiny letter, your, your your weekly list, right? Yeah. Uh, where you're talking a lot about cannibalization within Boom Beach. So I think like cannibalization to Clash of Clans uh, wouldn't be healthy, but cannibalization to Boom Beach actually could. Yeah. So yeah, in my in my last week's newsletter, I talked a little bit about this. I, I thought it was super interesting that they picked the art style that they did for this game. They picked like a more Boom Beach like art style rather than a uh, a traditional like fantasy themed art style and i think largely it's basically probably uh, um, i don't know what the exact reason is you know you could there could be different hypotheses like maybe the boom beach team uh felt um creatively tapped and they wanted to do something else and so since their art artists were familiar with their art style they did that or um or if it was generated from more of a top-down like portfolio level strategy of like um we don't want to we we don't want to, we want to mitigate the the revenue cannibalization risk on our marquee franchises of Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. So we're going to pursue a different art style for this. And I think it's smart that they actually um, uh, didn't go with, you know, the same theme as as Clash, um, largely because, uh, uh, well, one of the things, um, 
uh, I, I won't. I, I'll just say this. I'll just say this. Um, what we found in uh, at at Riot was when we would um, when we would launch Earth mode, uh, and so Riot Riot has this kind of uh, uh, Le- Riot has League of Legends, obviously, and and Le- within League of Legends, there's this game mode called um, Ultra Rapid Fire or Earth for short. And what that game mode does is it allows players to actually um, uh, use the same heroes that they previously or champions that they previously would would use, um, but the cooldowns would be just far, far more reduced. Um, and what we found was that whenever we would launch Earth mode um, as a temporary event, our engagement would shoot up through the roof. Um, but the subsequent month, uh, it would actually cannibalize more than uh, what we would have had normally or st- stably if we didn't launch Earth mode. And so that's why Earth mode was never made a permanent game mode within League of Legends because of that fear of cannibalization risk of from an engagement perspective. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, you know, the theory behind it, we can always like, we don't really know exactly why, but the theory behind it is because um, when you allow players to engage in the core game um, um, very, very fast over and over again and experience that kind of like visceral satisfaction at a much more accelerated pace, then when you go back to what they were playing before, it feels less, it feels just, it's just slower. It feels less fun. Um, so I'm wondering if basically this, this actual game, um, Rush Wars, would have a similar effect on uh, on Supercell's other portfolio games, and so um, it may. And uh, I guess a big concern is whether or not Clash of Clans players will actually gravitate towards this game, d- despite the art style. Well, here's the irony: is that you bring up uh, Riot, and I've actually heard many times about Riot is that uh, they've been unable to get a game out for the fear of cannibalization of their existing game. I mean, that's part of the reason that they haven't had a game ever <laughs> except for one game right you know uh, and yeah. i know maybe you can't comment on that but like but you know in absence of actually trying the way supercell has over and over again you know riot's kind of been on the sidelines with this game that just mints money and we haven't seen a game come out from them right in in the in their history so you know yeah i i riot I, you know i don't want to i don't want to comment uh, too much about this but i think um I think Riot is uh, has struggled to release a new game, uh, largely kind of. The, the, I guess the the main reason why is because they're a little bit afraid of their own shadow. Um, League of Legends success has been, you know, unparalleled in the industry to to their credit. Um, it's it's been amazing. It's had an amazing run, and it's 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 been super successful due to really really smart decision making on on the leadership level from that aspect. That being said, though, um, it in a way. Uh, at least, at least when I first started, the kind of mentality that um, when I first started working there, when the mentality that Riot um, had was, you know, we would we would only want to ship genre-defining games or you know, X billion-dollar opportunity games. And the the hard truth is that those types of games are are the rarest unicorns of unicorns, you know. Um, so, um, but I think I think leadership's mentality has changed around that um, in recent times. So. Um, you know, hopefully we should see some new games released from them soon. Well, in your intro, you said you were working three and a half years in new product development, which has a certain irony right? because <laughs> yes. there have been no new products, right? Yeah. Well, I'm just being a jerk. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I again, I'm just, you know, what is Supercell going to do? You know, make a puzzle game, right? Or make a, you know, casino, you know, like, oh, did they? 
They, they did puzzles, sorry, not casino. I don't uh, see them making. Casino. I mean, like, I, I don't know where they go, you know, like they just they have their their uh, their lane and they're swimming in it. So uh, we'll see. I mean, how how much this impacts their other games. And maybe maybe to your point, they can get the Boom Beach ba- audience back because that game is pretty much DOA, right? So, um, yeah, that's only that's on life support right now. It's only yeah. generating about uh, one and a half million dollars of global monthly revenue at this point. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. All right, the next story, um, which more impacts me, uh, Pokemon Mas- Masters launched globally on iOS and Android from our friends at Pokemon and uh, DNA. So DNA, it's it's relevant. Um, DNA has been responsible or part of uh, all of Nintendo's releases, I th- most of them, except I don't even know how much they were involved with Fire Emblem, come to think about it, because it was developed by someone else. But they're all... DNA is supposedly involved and, and and responsible for a lot of the back-end tech for a lot of these games. That's kind of what their thing is. I don't know as much on, on the design side, but certainly on the back-end tech. But anyway, the only successful game that the Nintendo really has come out with has been uh, Fire Emblem. Um, and we talked about Pokemon Masters before. The Pokemon company really hasn't been all that successful on uh, mobile, with the exception, obviously, of the biggest game on the planet. Uh, it's uh, Pokemon Go, but had far less to do with their design than than Niantic. So anyway, this is a big deal and a big game. And the last time we spoke, I kind of felt like this is more geared towards traditional Pokemon players, which is a good thing. And it's kind of ironic that it's coming out now because we're going to see a big game from the Switch coming out over holiday, um, which in a sense could be com- competing against it. But of course... You know, Adam is much smarter than I am, and he's going to explain why this is completely different from that game. But so far, this game is performing particularly well. It's definitely in Japan, which represents about 65% of the revenue. You know, downloads are reasonably strong. It's definitely tracking well below Fire Emblem um, so far in the first five or six days. But what I think is that we'll likely see a more... um, a, a broader audience and a more longer term revenue streams. And I think this game is going to be really pretty successful, particularly compared to what Pokemon has come out before. Um, it should be positive for DNA and, and Pokemon and much lesser degree Nintendo because they only have like a 20 or 25% stake in Pokemon. But I would love to get your guys' take because uh, I'm getting calls from clients on this particular game. Um, but uh, uh, Adam, what do you think? Yeah, um, it's actually been quite a struggle to play this one. There's been a lot of uh, technical hiccups over the last week. Um, continually getting dropped from the game has been infuriating. Um, but in terms of performance, right, as you mentioned, Japan, 65%. Um, it's at sitting at about $13 RPI right now for Japan, which is very good. Uh, but in the U.S., which I think is, is really the big question here, it's sitting at about a dollar RPI which is, you know, more moderate. Um, I think the the keys around this game, it's a 3v3 RPG battle game uh, with a gacha-driven meta. Uh, it's actually got a very fast-paced, real-time uh, core gameplay. Um, so instead of it being, say, like Galaxy of Heroes, where you're, you know, choosing every single attack, um, it's actually much more fast-paced than that. So uh, think of it more like Clash Royale in terms of, like, pacing where you're continually getting mana which you can then spend on those different attacking moves um and then you're just kind of choosing which pokemon to attack with um focusing on the strengths and weaknesses of those specific pokemon 
Um, I will say here that this has actually got some phenomenal visuals. So for a mobile game, this is definitely like the the closest you will get towards the uh, upcoming kind of Sword and Shield or even Let's Go Pikachu um, kind of visuals on the Switch for mobile. Um, you can see they put a lot of effort into things like story mode. Um, very, very expensive, pulling in all the trainers from every single, you know, decade of uh, generation of Pokemon uh, for all those Pokemon fans. Um, it's very, very clearly a polished Pokemon experience for free-to-play mobile. Um, structurally, um, as you mentioned, like it, it actually seems like they're taking as much inspiration from Fire Emblem Heroes in terms of modes, etc., as possible, um, which is, you know, makes sense since it's Nintendo's, you know, most successful free-to-play game. Uh, this should be a slam dunk, uh, of course, with Pokemon being much, much larger than Fire Emblem. Um, but then again, as you mentioned, Pokemon Company has been trying this for years and failing. Uh, so on first glance, I would say it looks like actually a pretty competent gotcha RPG. Um, however, uh, within kind of closer inspection, there's obvious gaps in the formula uh, that we should actually expect them to be correcting over the, the, the coming months, which will be critical for them to kind of bridge that gap between them and Fire Emblem. Um, so whenever you're evaluating a game like this in the gotcha driven RPG world, there's kind of two aspects that I always take a look at. Uh, first is what are the drivers within the core gameplay uh, to actually collect a wide variety of gear items, in this case, Pokemon and their subsequent trainers, as well as what is the progression system for each Pokemon and how deep it goes. Um, so in terms of wide collection drivers, they're relying on kind of a single attack type weakness system to actually drive collection. Every Pokemon has a specific attack type, maybe one or two, and then a weakness uh, specific element uh, to drive collection. So this makes the strategy thinner than Fire Emblem, but still better than the original Pokemon. I think that's a, a better system overall. Um, I think Fire Emblem also had a lot of kind of like synergy between characters, kind of implicit and explicit. Um, and in this case with Pokemon, there still is some with some of the special abilities of these uh, trainers. But in this case, the strategy is definitely thinner than Fire Emblem. So there's a lot less kind of inherent drive to collect everything. Um, but in terms of modes, there's there's not a lot. So here you've, you've got like a, a daily event mode. You've got kind of like daily challenge modes. Um, you've got a single player campaign. And for every single character that you pull from the gotcha, they also have their own kind of uh, single player campaign to play through. Um, so they, they have lots of content to play through for, for now, which is good. But I think they still need a lot more modes to actually drive that collection. So I'd expect more modes to come out, which more explicitly push for more Pokemon types, or at least, you know, using your backbench, um, because I feel like they kind of blew their budget on the story mode here. Uh, they, they should have actually spent more time on creating lots of different modes, which, you know, make sure that the value of your collection is seen. Um, that, that's kind of the, the push that I have. In terms of deep progression, they've got a lot of different, uh, what I would call progression verticals. So level ups, level caps, skills, skill slots, skill levels, um, evolution, key power up items, all, all of these different verticals all um, push towards like an end game level that you need to have be maxed out across all these verticals in order to be the best Pokemon. Um, so they have lots of verticals. What's interesting then is just around how they pace these items that go through. And I don't have a full read on that yet, but I know that some of the pacing of this actually seems pretty off. It seems like they're rebalancing it quite a bit, um, especially on one of the key verticals, evolution. Uh, and right now there's actually, you can only acquire it once a month, which is really odd. Um, just seems like there's still lots of tweaking to be done. 
Um, so my, my initial read on this is that while I think they blew their budget on story, it's amazing. Uh, but at the same time, they, they have a lot of gaps to fill in terms of the playbook for gotcha-driven RPGs. And this is certainly not as industry-leading in terms of progression system design here. Um, so if they can actually fill those obvious gaps, um, then they can actually become a competent RPG and see the same success as Fire Emblem. But the actual bones of this work, just they, they're missing some features. Kenny? Yeah, I I was super excited when I got the notification on my phone that my pre-order for Pokemon Masters is finally released. And I downloaded it and I tried it and I tried it for like a couple hours and I couldn't I couldn't get that I couldn't get past it beyond that. Um, it's uh you know I think the I think the production value of this game is insane. Uh, the fact that they tied um, each Pokemon, they created a new uh, a human being avatar for each Pokemon uh, that's in the game. And so when you're progressing to the story mode, you're not talking to Pokemon, but you're talking to the, their respective uh, Pokemon trainer. Um, I thought that was a really interesting decision uh, because it effectively like uh, it, it doubles, if not triples the amount of art that you have to do and, and production that you have to do. Um, uh, the game... Uh, so you know this game isn't for me, and I'll and that's why I don't really want to be lengthy with my critique. Um, uh, but uh, you know I I'm missing, uh, unlike Fire Emblem Heroes, which has um, a PvP component to it, even if it's asynchronous. You know this game doesn't seem to have that, at least not yet. Um, and that's one of the things that I think like a gotcha. Uh, system really shines is when there's uh, kind of a uh, um, a constant factor of 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 co- of competition that basically um, encourages you to keep spending and keep basically leveling up your team and keep trying different compositions. Um, so that's something that I think that's sorely needed. Uh, but and it's interesting that they decided to, um, I guess, launch the game Pokemon Masters as a game that is more to- geared towards RPG and story and progression versus uh, the latter competition. And so they probably reached a larger demographic that way, like. Um, uh, uh, you know, a, a demographic that is probably um, more attached to uh, to the IP and cares more about just like exploring the universe. But um, uh, unfortunately, I'm not that target demographic. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't focus so much on the story that's clearly destroying your budget, um, as well as all the, these characters. Right? They, they they eventually have to pull these players into a tail tail features. Right? Like. Yeah, PvP or something, but it is kind of worrying that the developer is so apprehensive about adding PvP modes, even if it's async. Uh, but they need leaderboards, right? They need a competition. They need something um, that's kind of like driving my engagement between those major content drops, because especially with the cost of this content, they're never going to be able to keep that up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So let's move on to the last article today. Uh, so seriously, and Platika. Um, so Playtika has acquired the Best Fiends mobile game publisher, Seriously. Uh, so if you don't know too much about Seriously, um, Seriously is uh, Helsinki-based. Uh, they created a game called Best Fiends, which is a match three game where you collect um, these kind of bugs. Um, Seriously has always really been known for pushing the value of like creating your own IP. Um, so if you notice within Seriously's portfolio, they've really been pushing this best fiends angle in terms of bugs versus slugs um, and trying to push that IP as far as it will go. Uh, actually fairly similar to something like Rovio with Angry Birds. 
Um, so Playtika on the other side is an Israeli social casino um, slash now casual gaming company, uh, actually backed by a, a Chinese consortium uh, back in 2016. I think they, they got something like seven, like seven billion or something. I don't know. It was seven. I think it's 4.4 billion. 4.4 billion in funding. Yeah. Uh, so Slotomania, of course, is their biggest game. Um, but what they've done with all that funding and as well as the success of the social casino is starting to pick up major uh, casual game developers. So they recently picked up Super Treat, Wooga, and Jelly Button, um, and now seriously is uh, another uh, another casual game developer uh, within their studios, uh, as well as recently we reported on their casual game lab, um, which at that time sounded like it was actually going more towards hyper-casual than say regular casual. Um, <laughs> regular casual. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that, that seems to be their overall strategy. Um, the interesting thing about this acquisition is that it was rumored for about $275 million. Um, so you might think, uh, like I, I was actually, I gawked at that number just because it seemed very, very high. Um, but I wasn't actually aware. Seriously, has actually been doing very, very well over the last year, really. Um, mostly on the back of live operations of their sole original hit called Best Fiends. Uh, they've struggled to repeat that success, um, trying out a lot of adjacent genres like Idol. So they had like Best Fiends Forever, Best Fiends Slugs, which is like a tower defense game, Best Fiends Rivals, which is kind of a high score match three game. Uh, but the original Best Fiends has actually been on a revenue tear recently, uh, especially in the US. So um, Sensor Tower reports 5.7 million in August, 2019. Uh, versus, say, in spring, I think April 2018, they were actually under 2.5 million. So they've um, doubled their monthly revenue in the last roughly about a year. Um, so this seems like seriously is really actually cashing in on their growth and Playtika continuing their aggressive growth in casual. So while 275 seems like they're paying based on kind of the current trajectory, uh, because yeah, they're, they're roughly estimated by Sensor Tower at about 60 million for the last year. But I'll pass this off to Eric. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you covered it perfectly. I think this is a diversification strategy. You know, they're, they're primarily a casino company. And so they're buying these guys for this, you know, kind of casual puzzle game. Um, and to your point, I actually was unaware that this game has actually grown from like one to two million a month to almost six million a month in the last, uh, you know, 12, 18 months, which is pretty remarkable. Um now, 275 million seems a little bit steep for this company. I mean, I, I imagine it's relatively small, but they must be super profitable um, at this stage. I would think if they've scaled up from that, you know, two million a month to six million. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't know. It seems like a good acquisition for them. I think they are probably struggling like many of these casino companies is to diversify outside of uh, of of their core competency. You know, getting out of their lane. It is a challenge to do. The other company that went public recently um, was SciPlay, right? And their their IPO is a bit broken at this point. But it's like they are also are the type that really needs to a diversification strategy to get away from just pure casino. Um, so yeah, good for them, and you know, good for the uh, you know the guys at the company that have been building this game for for this long. Uh, I know my I played this game for a while and. Uh, it wasn't all that complex, I'm sure. I imagine they must have added a lot of deeper monetization mechanics in the game recently. So, any, uh, how are you, Ken? 
Um, yeah, I don't really have much to add. I think you guys all brought up really great points. Um, I, the only thing that I was thinking about is like, I wonder how much of this is driven by, uh, for example, um, increased scrutiny, um, really, really globally around just like, uh, around just like uh, gambling or gambling like mechanics in, 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 in games and in, in, in the, uh, in throughout, throughout not just mobile, but also, you know, console and PC as well. So um, it's interesting, you know, I don't actually know what the motivations are behind this, but um, if it, if it's just diversification of the portfolio and, and, um, and revenues, that's, that'd be, that, that, that can make, that totally makes sense too. Um, what if it's like, you know, trying to reduce legal risk that, that could also make sense too. No, I mean, okay, well, let's not, let's not conflate these issues, right? So the social casino is not gambling by definition, right? Because it's, it's, you can't cash out, right? It's not real currency. I personally, I think this whole gambling thing is over, right? I think if these, these board, these, these people are self-regulating, putting the percent of odds and stuff, like, I think the whole debate is over, right? Because as long as the UK, I've already said this before, but as long as UK and the US are not going to change their view on this stuff, like mm-hmm. we're fine, right? Now, yeah. they, I think it's just more of a diversification. I don't think they see as, uh, frankly, I don't think anybody in this business really th- sees the risk of, of, of people coming down on the gambling thing. I mean, unless you're, you know, I don't know, the, these small countries that have some, some stick up their butts. But um, I, 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 think, <laughs> I, think, I think that issue is kind of moot. Um, okay. In Japan, we basically saw this exist, exact same thing happen years ago, right? In which... Uh, there was just outrage from certain sectors of that economy or that the country, and everyone decided, well, they're just going to post the odds, and then it was over. Right <laughs> now, look at the, look at how crazy they spent in Japan. Right, it doesn't change the thing. Right, anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think this is over. But uh, but again, if if you really want to build a mobile business, this is the same kind of issue that we're talking about with Riot. Right, is that. Yeah. You want to do or and and clash, uh, you know, supercells that you want to build a business, you diversify out of your core competency, right? And yeah, and that's exactly build, right. Yeah, yeah, and building internally, trying to build these games is really hard, right? I mean, look at what King King hasn't been able to do anything but puzzles since the get go, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way you, the way you do it is acquisition. That's what Zynga is doing very effectively, and and Glue to some degree, well, to much lesser degree, but um. Uh, just with that one product but uh, so anyway so I think you know in that sense it's smart and since there's not many of these game companies left um, I think they probably ha- had a great bidding war for this game company to get to the 275 I mean I think 275 is steep if that is indeed the price um, but that's just because they're a hot commodity in a market with not a lot of hot commodities you know yeah so, so good for them and they can take sense. it all to the bank all the way to the bank buy their Bugatti right <laughs> That kind of scratch. Yeah, so they can ride around their Bugatti in Helsinki for the two months of the year that it's warm. Dude, move to <laughs> move to a warmer climate. Get the fuck out of there, huh? <laughs> out to France, dude. Anyway, yeah. cool. All right, All right, well, we got to bring Joseph back. So we, I forgot to mention at the beginning, we could hit a hundred thousand listens, I guess, on this podcast, which I think is a pretty good, pretty good uh, achievement. Don't you? <laughs> Yeah, that's I think a, so. It's that's good. a lot of listens, listening yeah. to us talk about nonsense. Um, so hopefully next time we will have the crew back. Well, I don't know. Joseph, it seems like it's not a podcast without Joseph. So hopefully Joseph will be back. Um, but until then, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, I, I really do 
find your guys' insights fascinating, although a little bit deeper than I'm comfortable going. So, <laughs> but thanks, Ken. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate being on the podcast with you guys. I was, uh, always was a, an avid fan of uh, listening and also reading. So glad to finally be on the show. Cool. Glad to have you here. All right. All right, later. Have a good yeah. week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.